I want to start with a question today. And uh, if you're not a Christian, then it's a question that doesn't really apply to you. But my hope is that just in me asking the question, you would be able to, to say, wow, these Christians can ask real questions and difficult questions. And so here's the question. Have you ever been disappointed with the Christian faith? Not a question we even like coming out, right? It's like, whoa, you can't say that. But, but really, have you ever been disappointed with the Christian faith? I mean, there, there's several reasons that it, that it might have occurred. Maybe, maybe something happened in your life and, and it was hard and difficult and you've been asking God for a long time and saying, God, don't let this happen. Just take this away. Don't let this happen. And, and when it happened, you looked at God and you said, God, I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to live my life for you. And then you let this happen. You may not say this out loud to God because, you, I don't know, you don't want to get zapped dead or whatever it might be. But, but, but in somewhere deep inside of you, you're thinking, is it really even worth it? If God's going to let this happen to me, is it even worth it to continue to try to live my life for Him? Or maybe you just, you've come to a place in life where, where, where you're trying to live for God and you're trying to avoid the things that He says and says not to do and you're trying to do the things he says to do and, and and you're just working at it and working at it and working on it and you don't see any really breakthrough in, in your Christian faith. You just you just kind of keep working at it but but nothing seems to change and after a long period of this you just think is it even worth it? I mean I'm not moving forward. I'm just I'm just running on a treadmill metaphorically speaking and I'm not getting anywhere at all and and at the end of the day you're just like this is disappointing to me. Or maybe, maybe uh, you, you are avoiding things and, and you're doing the things that God wants you to do and, and, and everything's going pretty good and people would look at you and say, hey, they're a good Christian, whatever that means, and they'd say that about you and, and, and you know that you're living a pretty good life, but, but somewhere inside of you you're going, I thought there was going to be more to the Christian faith. I thought it was going to be more exciting, something better than this, and Man, I, I've been kind of living the Christian life out for so long. I've been following Jesus so long that, that really this life that I live, that, that people call a good Christian, it's just normal. And I can't really even see a difference in my spiritual life because this has just become who I am. You know, I, I've been there, and in some ways I'm, I'm kind of there right now. Life is pretty good. I've been a Christian for a long time. I can see a lot of growth over the last few years, but but I'm kind of in a point where... Where it's just it's just kind of normal and and it lacks excitement. I'm excited about the things that are happening at the church, but as far as my own personal spiritual life, it's just kind of like, eh, I'm kind of going through this. And if you were to look at me and ask me, and I felt like being honest, whether I would uh, rather go to a Blazer game or or do something to to increase my spiritual life, I would I would say the Blazer game. Okay, scratch that. They're terrible. So if you were to look at me and say, would you rather go to a Mariner game or work on your Christian life, then I would definitely answer the Mariner game if I was being honest with you. And you know, I, I'm, I've grown a lot through the years, and so I'm fairly consistent with my spiritual life. I get up, I pray, I read the Bible. But even those times right now just feel kind of boring and uninspired, uh, especially the Bible reading, and I'm, it doesn't help... Uh, Maybe it's God's way of teaching me something. I'm going through books of the Bible that I barely understand. And so then you're reading them, you know, and it's like, what is this about? Like, okay, that was good. Uh, I can get on with my life. And, and so I've been there, 
And and maybe you've been there where it's just like, what am I doing? This is disappointing. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It hasn't worked out the way that I expected. And uh, if, if you can say yes to those things, then, then the thing I want you to hear today, the encouraging news, uh, as I start on a, on a down note, is that, that the disciples, the guys that Jesus hung out with while he was alive and walking around on this earth, they experienced some pretty big disappointments in their Christian faith. And over the next few weeks, several weeks, we're talking about Peter, uh, who was the disciple in some ways, and, and we're trying to learn from his Christian life. We're trying to learn about his discipleship process. By the way, discipleship, disciple, it simply means follower. And so when we talk about a disciple, we're talking about a follower of Jesus. When we talk about the discipleship process, we're talking about becoming a better follower of Jesus, falling more in love with him and living a life that, that honors him more and, and really just, uh, just boosts his place in this world. And, and Peter, as we're trying to learn about his life and, and how he became a, a better follower of Jesus, I think that disappointment played a major role in that. And we can look at a couple of disappointing moments in the Christian faith for Peter, really big ones. And uh, we talked about last week how Peter, at the end of his life, he dies upside down on a cross. He's crucified upside down because he doesn't feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died, right side up on a cross. And and we, we ask, you know, what was it that led to that? And what we're trying to do is, is say, okay, are there, are there tangible steps in the life of Peter and his discipleship process that I can duplicate that will help me more fully live for Jesus, that will make me a person that respects and loves Jesus, loves Jesus so much that I would think to do something so crazy as say, I can't be crucified the way he was, but, but do it upside down because I love and respect him so much. And today what we'll see is, is that disappointment and, and more importantly how Peter responded to that disappointment played a major role in moving him forward in the way that he followed Jesus and the way that he lived out the Christian faith. The story we're going to look at today is in Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33. If you open up your Bible there and you start to read and stop paying attention to me, you're going to say, this is definitely not a story about disappointment. Three things happen. Jesus walks on water. Peter walks on water. Then a storm is calmed by Jesus. I'm telling you what, if, if this is my day in the Christian life, then I don't go, oh, what a disappointment. I mean, this was boring. Is there something more here, right? You're going, this is awesome, right? But this isn't a story about disappointment. Instead, it's, a, it's really a story about how Peter and the other disciples respond to the disappointment in their lives. You see, this story doesn't come out of nowhere it's part of the whole discipleship thing for these guys. And I guess I should just catch you up to speed on what's going on in, in these guys' lives to this point. About two years before Matthew 14, Jesus says to these guys, I want you to be my disciples. I want you to follow me around and be with me when I teach and I'll teach you. And last week we saw the story of Peter. Peter met Jesus and he thought Jesus was a good guy, thought he might be the Messiah, but he wasn't his follower at all until... One day, Jesus comes to Peter's town, and he's preaching, and the crowds are all around him. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, hey, I know you. Can I go out in your boat a little bit to make it easier to teach to these people, kind of create a natural amphitheater? And, and so Peter takes him out in the boat. Jesus says, hey, I'm done preaching now. Go put your, go put your nets out in deep water and try to catch some fish. And Peter says, whoa. We've been, we've been fishing all night. We've had the nets in all night. There's no way we're going to catch fish. But because I, I think you're pretty good, good guy, seem nice, might be the Messiah, I have respect for you, I'll do as you say. 
So Peter goes out and he, he drops the nets in and they catch so many fish that the boat starts to sink and they get another boat out there and that boat starts to sink. And, and Peter in that moment recognizes that Jesus is somebody far greater than him. And he falls on his knees and says, I'm not worthy to be in a relationship with you. But because Jesus is loving and gracious, he looks at Peter and he says, I want you to be my follower. I want to have a relationship with you. And, and so Peter responds to that with a yes and he says, sure. I'll leave everything and I'll follow you around. And so these guys have been following Jesus around for two years. They've witnessed countless miracles, things that, that are beyond anything we'll ever see in our lives. They've heard Jesus teach almost on a daily basis. They have seen the crowds go from big to huge and just people coming to Jesus like crazy. And in all of this, they're thinking, this is the Messiah, the Savior. Now, what happens here is, is that this kind of reaches a pinnacle. The people are gathering and they're going, this must be our Messiah. And, and it kind of reaches a, a climax in, in the story right before this. And it's a story that, that we refer to as the feeding of the 5,000. So let me just give you that story. So Jesus is teaching the crowds and, and then all of a sudden uh, the, a, uh, somebody comes up to him, I don't know who, and says, hey, your cousin, whose name was John, has died. He's been beheaded by the Roman government. Jesus says, hey, I need to get away. I need to go pray. I'm sure there was sadness and grief. And, and so he just wants to go out into the wilderness and be alone. And so he starts to do that. But when you're kind of a rock star, it's difficult to do. And so the crowds follow him. It says 5,000 men. Notice it doesn't say women and children if you ever read that story. So we're talking fifteen to 20,000 people follow Jesus out into the wilderness to see him do miracles, to hear him teach. They get out there and... Jesus, out of compassion, the Bible tells us, starts to heal their sick. And he heals their sick all day long until it becomes late into the evening. And the disciples come to Jesus and they notice a problem. They say, hey, we're out here in the wilderness. And these fifteen to 20,000 people have not brought any food. You need to send them back to the, to the civilization, to the villages, in order that they can go buy food for themselves. Then Jesus says something really unexpected. He says, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And the disciples say, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a big problem when you have 15,000 to 20,000 people to feed, right? Unless you're Jesus, because here's what Jesus does. He blesses the food, says a prayer like we do. And then all of a sudden, they start passing out the food, and it goes to all fifteen to 20,000 people. And the people are, are all fed, and they still have fish and bread left over. Now, what happens next is not really surprising based on that, but you don't read about it in the book of Matthew. You have to go over to the book of John. And let me just give you a little background information. These people think that Jesus is the Messiah in this moment. They think that he is the king who is going to come and set things right. That's what the Jewish people thought of as the Messiah. But they don't know how Jesus is going to save them. They think that the Messiah, the guy that they are looking forward to to start up his kingly reign, is going to come in and he's going to start a revolution against the Roman government. He's going to overthrow them. He is going to take the land back that is rightfully the Jewish people. And he is going to make everything better for the Israelite nation. And because of this, even the disciples expect Jesus right now in this moment to say, okay, it's time, let's go kill off the Romans and take this land over. Especially because he's just fed fifteen to 20,000 people. They're going, this kingdom is going to be great because we have free food. We're going to be the greatest kingdom on earth ever. 
And so in John 16, or 6, 14 and 15, we read what happens right after the feeding of the 5,000. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they begin to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world, the Messiah. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They look at Jesus and say, you're the guy. You're the one we've been waiting for. And so the crowds are ready to, by force if need be, make him their king. Now the disciples probably were not going to try to force Jesus to do anything. They knew of his power. They knew him well enough. But you can be sure that they were amongst the people who were saying, it's time. The kingdom has arrived. The moment that we have been waiting for is here. Jesus is going to be the king. He is going to kick out the Romans. Everything is going to be great for us. And he's going to put us into power to sit at his right and left hand and rule over the entire world. The moment that they have been waiting for is now here. And then Jesus goes up onto a mountain by himself. You just picture the disappointment. I mean, it wasn't just the disciples who were, who were waiting for this moment. I mean, we're talking thousands of years they've been waiting for this. And they think the moment is there. The people recognize him as king. The disciples have been with him for two years expecting this moment, saying, when is it going to happen? And when it comes, Jesus goes off into the wilderness by himself. It's even worse if you read Matthew 14, 22. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So they weren't even there to see Jesus go out into the wilderness. Jesus does this miracle and the people are ready to make him king. And he says to the disciples, I want you to get into a boat and I want you to go across to the other side of the lake. I mean, not only does Jesus refuse to be the king, not only does Jesus refuse to step up into the role that's rightfully is and go off into the wilderness, he sends these people who love him and have given up everything for him to the other side of a lake, away from him. This is a major moment of disappointment for these guys. But they still know Jesus is awesome and they know Jesus is powerful. And, and so they choose to be obedient to what he has said. They get in the boat and we read in verses 24 and 25. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, dot, dot, dot. So the disciples start to head back, okay? They do what Jesus said. They get into the boat and... It tells us in the book of John that they get about halfway out into the lake, which is about three miles. And that doesn't seem like a big deal. Sure, they've gone three miles. Until you notice that little phrase at the beginning of verse 25, shortly before dawn. This phrase literally is in the fourth watch of the night. And in Jesus' day, what the fourth watch of the night was, was three to six in the morning. Now consider the situation here for a minute. You think Jesus is going to be the Messiah. The moment that you've waited for all your life is now upon you. Jesus says, I want you to go to the other side of the lake. Doesn't take over as king. And now you've spent the entire night trying to be obedient to Jesus. Trying to do what he has asked you to do. I mean, put yourself in Peter's shoes for a minute. Jesus just crushed me because I thought he was going to be the king. And then he sent me away from him. My best friend and the one I love did not want me where he was in this moment. And now I'm trying to be obedient to him. And we've been up here rowing all night long. And we can't even do the thing that he's asked us to do. We've been struggling for hours and hours and hours. 
can you just imagine Peter in this moment? I mean, every time that he, he wasn't trying to, to row or whatever, I'm sure he's thinking, is it even worth it? Should I just give up now? Should I quit? Can I be done with this? Can I go back to fishing? At least I'd be going the right direction in the boat with the wind behind me. He probably feels like giving up. And then we read in verse, starting in verse 25, Jesus went out to, the, to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Now before we look at this story and, and, and see what Peter did in the moments of his disappointment and frustration, I want you to notice the outcome of the story. You see here that it says that the, the disciples all fall down and say, Truly you are the Son of God. And we're used to that phrase, right? We, we, we call Jesus the Son of God. That's in the Bible a lot. What's fascinating is those words had never been uttered by a human being before this moment. The Father in heaven had said, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. A demon had said, Surely this is the Son of God. Please go away from me. But no human beings had ever called Jesus the Son of God to this point. And so we see in this moment, it's a major step forward in the discipleship process. They probably don't understand the Trinity in the way that we understand it today. They probably don't know everything that this means. But in this moment, they recognize that Jesus truly is divine. That He is God who has come down in their presence. You see, no good Jewish person would ever worship anyone except for God. And when they fall down on their knees and declare Him to be the Son of God, they are saying, you are in fact a divine presence that is in our midst. You are the God who we worship. It's a big deal. Big moment for them in their discipleship process. But it, but it even gets better. If you were to go back to John 6, you would see that, that after these moments... The crowd goes, hey, where'd Jesus go? They're still back on the other seashore. And so they say, we've got to find Jesus. He's healing our sick. We want a free meal. And so they find Jesus. And they act like they want to be his disciples. They act like they want to be his followers. But, but the truth is, they, they only want a free meal. And Jesus calls them out on it. And then Jesus gives this teaching. And he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, then you can't be my followers. They don't understand that Jesus is being metaphorical and he's really saying that, that they need to accept his gift of salvation, that, he, that he's going to offer them by dying on a cross to save them if they will accept that gift, if they will take hold of it. They don't understand that. And so they say, this guy's teaching cannibalism. And many, it says, probably most of the people who would claim to follow him in this 15 to 20,000 go away from Jesus. So many people leave that Jesus turns to the 12 guys that are, his, that are his main disciples and says, you don't want to go away too, do you? And here's the reaction of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. See this major step forward in the discipleship process? And it comes out of the frustration and the disappointment that they experienced just a night earlier. 
despite the fact that all their peers have gone away, and despite the fact that Jesus has just taught something that is still, in, this, in, in our day today, 2,000 years later, a difficult and argued over teaching. Peter and the disciples look at him and go, no, 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 we're not going anywhere. You are the one who has the power to walk on water. You are the one who has the power to save. You are the one who can give us eternal life. There is nobody as good as you. There is nobody as great as you that we can turn to. We are with you no matter what it costs us. The discipleship process here takes a a major step forward. They don't understand what's going to happen or where this life is going to lead them. But they say, no, 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 we're not going anywhere else because we realize you are the one the Messiah, the Savior that we have been looking forward to. But here's the thing. I don't think that Peter's discipleship process would have moved forward if he would not have responded to the frustration and even the disappointment in the way that he did. So let me quickly, uh, as, as I finish up here, just point out two things that Peter does that I think we need to duplicate in our lives when we're feeling frustrated or annoyed or, or like it's just too difficult and too boring in, in the Christian faith. The first thing that he did is he continued to be obedient. Peter's sad, he's frustrated, he's disappointed. And Jesus says, go across that lake and, and the other disciples too. And, and it would have been easy for them to say, no, we're not going. But they get out there and they're in the middle of that lake and they're rowing and they're paddling and they're trying to get to the other side. I think a normal reaction would have been to say, we'll turn this around. We'll put the sails up. We'll be back to the shore in no time that Jesus is on. He'll forgive us. He loves us. We're his closest disciples. So what's the point of us being on a lake when these other people are around him? We, we deserve to be there. We could just be disobedient this once and it won't matter at all. That would have been the easy thing to do, right? Just to give up and say, we're going to go back. We're just going to go back. It's no big deal. We can come over in the morning. But the disciples and Peter do what Jesus has commanded of them, despite how difficult it is and how frustrating they must have been as they were paddling into that wind. They say, I'm going to continue to be obedient to Jesus. I'm telling you what, when we're, being, when we're frustrated with the Christian faith, when we're thinking in our heads, God, it's got to be something more than this. And this is just not that great right now. It's just not that easy. It's not that fun. It's not everything I expected it to be. You're not giving me everything I want. It's just hard. And the first thing that we need to do is just continue to be obedient. Just continue to strive to do the things that we know God wants from us. The second thing that Jesus does is is that he takes a risk. I mean, Peter, excuse me, that he does is he takes a risk. I want you to notice that it's not Jesus who asked Peter to come out in the water. It's kind of an interesting part of that story, right? It's Peter who says to Jesus, hey, I want to come out there. If that's you, Jesus, then let me walk on the water. Peter looks at Jesus and says, I know you haven't commanded this, but I want to do something great by your power. I want to do something awesome for you and with you, and I just want to be a part of this special moment that I'm witnessing right now. I think this is important for us to realize because Christians kind of have this mentality like, well, if I can read it in the Bible specifically, then I'll go ahead and try to work it out and be obedient to it. But I'm not going to go above and beyond. I don't want to do anything crazy for Jesus. But, but Peter looks and he says, man, I just want to do something special. And I think this is key when we are disappointed that to say, look, it's not just about continuing to be obedient. It's about saying, what can I do that's amazing for God? 
I do not think it's a coincidence that when all these crowds are leaving Jesus in John 6, the story I just told, that it's Peter. That it's Peter who responds for the disciples. And says, I don't care where everybody else goes. I'm going to stay here with you because I was out on that water with you. And I've seen how you can save my life and how you will save my life by your love and grace. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's Peter who responds, who, who becomes the mouthpiece saying, we're not going anywhere. We know your power. I think it is deeply connected to the fact that Peter says, I want to take a risk for you. I want to take a risk with you. I want to do something awesome and powerful through your power and your awesomeness. I think that the application for us today is, is pretty simple. I mean, I think the first thing that we need to do is say, no matter how boring or difficult or frustrating or annoying the Christian faith seems today, I'm going to continue to be obedient to Jesus. For some in this room that, that aren't Christians, that, that may mean taking a first step of obedience. And I think God calls Christian people. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that God's drawing all men to himself. And I, I, think, I think for some people who, who have never followed Jesus, there's a voice inside of them saying, check it out. You know, read the Bible and see what this Jesus character is about. Uh, ask another Christian that you know about why they, they, they love this Jesus character. I mean, really explore this character, Jesus, that, that you've heard about before. And I think that it's so important for people to be obedient to that, that voice that's inside of them, that calling inside of them that says, man, find out what this Jesus thing is about. Find out what this salvation thing is about that all of these people talk about around the world, really. Brothers who have given their lives to Jesus, I think it's, it's just saying, hey, what is it that I have given up being obedient to? Because I think that happens, right? I think sometimes disobedience becomes easier. Going back to the other seashore is just simple. I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to just be mad at people and tell them what you think than it is to, to be kind and loving when somebody makes you angry, right? I mean, that's easier. It's a lot easier to kind of be dishonest every now and then if it, if it saves you some trouble, right? That's easier. And I think for some of us in this room, we need to go, what is it that God has called me to do that Jesus has asked me to do that I'm not doing? Or what is it that Jesus has told me not to that I've let become a normal part of life? And we need to say, you know what? I know it's not easy right now. I know this is easier. I know I'm a little bit frustrated with how the Christian faith is going. But I'm going to strive to be obedient to what Jesus wants me to do. Then there's others, I think, in this room right now who, who are going, hey, I'm pretty obedient. You know, I'm, even, if, even if the wind's all against me, I, I just continue to strive to move forward. And, and here's the thing that I, I think is important for you. I think that maybe that God is calling some people in this room just to take a risk for Jesus. To do something for God and with God that is scary, perhaps because it is scary. Not just the normal routine. Yeah, I wake up, I read my Bible, and I try to live a pretty good life. But I think that there's some people here right now in our midst that God is saying, hey, do something amazing for me. Test me. See, see if, if I'm really as powerful as you claim that I am. And if I really will help you out despite how difficult this task that you are going to commit to might seem. I think there's some of us in this room who are going, ah, the Christian faith is just here and I'm doing it. And, and, and I think I'm one of them that God is saying, hey, let's do something right now. I would advise, like Peter, that you ask Jesus before you do that. You know, Make sure that it's something that he wants you to do. But if he gives you the go-ahead, 
then jump in and say, I'm going to walk on water with you. I'm going to do something great because I love you and because I recognize your power and how miraculous you are. What's amazing about this passage of Scripture to me and what we see through Peter is that he continues to be obedient and he, he takes this giant risk for Jesus. And you might think, well, man, it's just so disappointing. But, but what we see through Peter and what we see throughout the New Testament is that no matter how disappointing the Christian faith might seem for a time in our lives, ultimately we know that if we are followers of Jesus, we are not going to be disappointed. Ultimately we know that, that, that it's someday... Being a Christian is going to result in something so great and so grand that it will go beyond anything that that is in our wildest imagination. Jesus will save us like he saved Peter. But we need to strive to be obedient and maybe strive to take some risks when we're feeling the disappointment and the frustration that comes to the Christian faith. You guys pray with me. Lord, just ask God that... uh, that, that those in this room that are that are dealing with the frustration, you know, maybe they haven't even recognized it. Maybe they haven't paused to think, and I hadn't really until this week, you know, that, that something kind of feels like it's missing right now. That it's just not as exciting as it once was or as it has been. And Or maybe we're just deeply hurt, God, and, and we're thinking, I can't believe God has put me through this. Lord, for the people in the room that are in any way struggling with frustration with you or following you, Lord, I would just pray that you, would, that you would help them to keep being obedient to you. Lord, I would pray that they would explore, actually explore what is it that God might be asking me to do or, or what is it that I could just do for God to kind of break up this rut that I'm stuck in in my Christian faith right now, to kind of forget about the disappointment and, and once again fix my eyes on Jesus who always saves me. Lord, if there's any person in this room right now that, that doesn't know you as their Savior and they can, they can hear that voice that, 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 that many of us have heard saying, hey, Jesus, check him out. You're a sinner. He's perfect. You need him to save you. I pray that those people would respond to that, God, even today, and they would say, yes, Lord, I will check that out. I will, I, I will, I will find out more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what that all entails and Lord, I just pray that all of us would respond to whatever calling it is uh, that you have for us today, Lord. Let us respond to that, God, in in miraculous and powerful ways. Praise things in your name. Amen.